This is the Macmillan Library Podcast, a community conversation maker, bringing you curated conversations with Macmillan librarians, community members, authors, musicians, artists, and more. Welcome back to the Macmillan Conversation Maker Podcast. Today is the first episode of our new book review series. Jenny, our young adult librarian, will join me each month to review and recommend books. You'll find a variety of genres from YA to adult, and some TV series and films sprinkled in when applicable, such as today, when we started to mention Ready Player One, but never actually got around to reviewing it. But never fear, next month we will talk all things Ready Player One, and if you haven't heard, Macmillan is starting an off-site book club in March. They are reading Ready Player One for their first book selection. The book club will meet at Tom's on Grand Wednesday, March 21st at 7 p.m. Check our website for more information, and we will have Ready Player One available at the information desk soon. Thanks for listening. All right, today on the podcast, we have young adult librarian Jenny Bonneman from the McMillan Library. And we are going to attempt to start a new ongoing series where we bring up a couple of books that we've been reading or that look interesting and maybe read some reviews. And if we read it, uh, put some personal feedback in there. And hopefully these shows will provide you with some books that you may not have found on the shelf or may not have known were coming out. And we'll do YA books with Jenny and adult books with me, Colin, the adult services librarian, and hopefully get you some new selections to check out. Maybe they'll be in the genre that you normally like to read, or maybe there'll be something that piques your interest that you could expand what you normally read to a different kind of genre, or even from YA to adult or adult to YA. There's lots of good crossover stories, like one we might talk about a tiny bit, Ready Player One is a little bit of both, I guess, and that movie's coming out in March. So why don't you, Jenny, tell us a little bit, uh, give us some YA book picks. Okay, great. Um, so the first one I'm going to share uh, that I finished recently is called Moxie by Jennifer Matu. And her last name looks like Matthew, um, but it's pronounced Matu, but it's spelled M-A-T-H-I-E-U. If you want to look it up in our catalog. So I guess it's the French version of Matthew, as far as I know. And it's pronounced Matu. Because I looked it up. Hmm. It is Matu. Yeah, it looks like Matthew. Yeah. Yes. So <laughs> there's your slight French lesson for the day. Um, this book came out in September of last year, so September of 2017. It's recommended for grades eight and up, um, but definitely appropriate for high school age. Um, so maybe a little more nine through 12th. Um, it received stellar reviews from uh, School Library Journal and Voya, which is the voice of Young Adults magazine. It received a starred review from Booklist. Um, so it's gotten a lot of good feedback from reviewers. So um, in Moxie, 
Um, the main character is high school student Vivian Carter, and she lives in a small town in Texas, and it takes place in present day. So the small town in Texas, you know, football is king, football players are gods, they rule the school and the town. Um, all the businesses close on Friday nights because everyone has to go to the game. And Vivian is fed up with the way the football players treat the girls at the school. And the father of the biggest football star um, is also the principal of their high school. So oftentimes the actions and the behavior of the football players are swept under the rug. Uh, Viv is also tired of what she feels is a monotonous life. Um, she's always been the good kid, a good student, well-behaved. She wants to take a stand and she wants to make a difference. Um, Viv's mom, who was a punk rock 90s girl, uh, Vivian really admires her mother and how strong she is and how she's taken a stand on important issues and has made a difference. And her mom, when she was her age um, in the 90s, helped to create a feminist zine called Riot Girl. So Vivian is inspired to start her own zine called Moxie. And she anonymously distributes these zines throughout the school. And if you don't know what a zine is, it's like a homemade magazine or publication. Um, and inside Moxie, Viv anonymously encourages the girls in school to protest the unfair dress code um, and also the sexual harassment that happens on the school grounds as well. Um, so Moxie ends up turning into this whole movement, and it's so powerful because no one knows who started it. And it's the mystery that Moxie is for every girl. Um, it's a really timely book with the whole Me Too movement. Um, it encourages girls to stand together and to not be silent. And Vivian has a boyfriend. Um, she does get a boyfriend in the book who's the new kid in town. And he supports this movement and supports her and recruits his guy friends to also support the movement as well. Um, it's inspirational and timely, like I had mentioned. Um, I really enjoyed it. Um, I also wanted to mention that Amy Poehler from Parks and Rec and other amazing things. Um, yeah. She's also a big fan of Moxie. And um, she's bought the rights to possibly turn the book into a movie. Oh, nice. Um, she, Amy Poehler also founded the organization called Smart Girls, which she encourages young people to be true to themselves and to grow up to be strong and confident people. Um, I really enjoyed it. This is the first book that I've read by Jennifer Matu, um, but she does have other young adult books out there, including The Truth About Alice, Devoted, and Afterward. So if you decide to read Moxie, you can always check out some of Jennifer's other books. I forgot if you mentioned this. When did Moxie come out? Yes, it um, came out in September of 2017. So it's fairly new, like in the fall of last year. The next book that I have to share um, is The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Mm, I've seen a lot about that one yes. online. And I was thinking about listening to the audiobook. It's it's fantastic. Um, and it came out earlier last year, so February 2017, and it's been getting... It's very high profile. It's beginning a lot of press. Um, they are already um, filming a movie, so there will be a movie coming out at some point. Oh, I wow. didn't see a release date or anything yet. I know. It's like, what YA books are they not turning into yeah, movies? Yeah, they're really on top of it these days. Yeah. It's like... 
it's kind of movie amazing. and book are almost simultaneous projects. Right, exactly. And and I kind of like that because you know, I I enjoy movies as everybody else does, but I also think that for like teens and I know how much they love movies if they see the movie and they find out it was based on a book that might get those kids who may not be very big readers to say, hey, you know what, I want to go to the library and, and check out, you know, the the book that was that the movie was created from, you know. Uh-huh. So I like the whole reading the book, seeing the movie. I think it's a lot of fun. Um, so The Hate You Give by Angie Thomas. Um this book is also very timely with the um, Black Lives Matter movement. Um, it's recommended for high school students, definitely the older end of the grades, because it is a bit more mature. Um, the book receives stellar reviews again on School Library Journal and Voya and Booklist. Um, and it's also a serious contender for the Prince Award, um, which is actually going to be announced um, only in a couple weeks on Monday, February 12th. What award is that? And good question, Colin. It's called the Prince Award. And if you don't know what the Prince Award is, um, it's given out each year to the best book written for teens. And it's um, given by the American Library Association. Um, so to be eligible, excuse me, eligible, a title must have been designated by its publisher as being either a young adult book or one published at the age range that they're looking for, which is ages 12 through 18. So, again, they're going to announce the winners on Monday, February 12th um, online. You can watch the live stream. It's called the Youth Media Awards. Does so. it have anything to do with Prince or the artist formerly Un- or currently known as Prince? Unfortunately, it has nothing to do with Prince. That's what I thought of. <laughs> Prince giving YA book that awards. That would be even cooler. And I think it would probably be more popular with the young adult <laughs> crowd if it was a prince supported award and it's actually spelled p-r-i-n-t-z oh okay artists we know as prince (laughs) yes so this book is about 16 year old star carter and she is trying to balance two different worlds um her black neighborhood where she's grown up called garden heights and her preparatory school that she attends miles away from home in the suburbs um, called Wilson Prep, um, where she is one in a handful of black students at that school. Living between these two worlds um, becomes progressively harder for her, uh, especially after she witnesses her childhood friend Khalil be fatally shot by a white police officer. Um, she had accepted a ride home from Khalil and they were sitting in his car talking after leaving a party. The cop approached the car, asked Khalil to leave the vehicle and stand against the car. And then Khalil leans into the vehicle to say something to Star. And the cop wasn't sure of what he was doing and shot Khalil and it ended up being fatal. Um, And Star is the only witness. So it really puts a lot of pressure on Star to bring some justice to her friend. Um, both her worlds are then turned upside down. It becomes national news and violence breaks out in her neighborhood. Um, she experiences more racism from her friends at school. Um, it's, it's an important and extremely timely book. It's beautifully written um, and there is great character development and it's very powerful. Um, so if you're looking for a great read, I highly mec- recommend The Hate You Give. I think it was on the top of my favorites for this year. Yeah, pretty much 
every lots of publishing houses and literary agents that I follow on Twitter are all mentioning that book. Yeah, yeah. It's getting, um, like I mentioned earlier, a lot of press and um, a lot of hype around that one for sure. Okay, so the last couple that I have to talk about are actually um, children's historical fiction, um, but it's geared towards like older elementary and maybe like sixth and the seventh grade. Um, it's this series called um, The War That Saved My Life by Kimberly Brewbreaker Bradley. And um, like I mentioned, it's historical fiction. It takes place during World War II. And um, in the war that saved my life, Ada and her brother live with their single mother. And their father died when they were very young. Um, their mother had been very abusive towards both of them, um, but especially towards Ada because she has this twisted, deformed foot that they call the club foot, um, which Ada was born with. Ada's mother um, keeps her locked up in the house, never letting her go outside because she does not want people to see Ada's club foot. So Ada just watches life happen outside without her. Um, and the living conditions in their house are horrible. They are very poor and they live in a very impoverished part of London. Uh, with the threat of bombs on London being at war with Germany, um, Ada and Jamie were sent to the countryside um, temporarily for their safety. And I just did a little bit of research on that. Um, so I looked it up, um, the BBC History page, and the whole evacuation of the children from cities and like London out to the countryside was actually called Operation Pied Piper. That's what happened to the kids in Narnia. In Nar yes, because it takes place in Britain, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I guess I forgot. I didn't realize what wartime that, that it even happened during wartime. Yeah. So they were a part of this Operation Pied Piper, um, which was the – in reading from the BBC History article here, the evacuation of Britain's cities at the start of World War II was the biggest and most concentrated mass movement of people in Britain's history. In the first four days of September 1939, nearly three million people were transported from towns and cities in danger from enemy bombers, <clears throat> enemy bombers to places of safety in the countryside. And most were school children um, separated from their parents and their families, accompanied by a small army of guardians, which was 100,000 school teachers. Um, so it's a pretty amazing history that um, – you know, they sent these kids to the countryside for their safety. So they um, ended up staying with this single woman named Susan, um, an Oxford-educated woman who studied maths. Um, and Susan never had really wanted children, and she didn't initially really want them. But as the story continues and their relationship grows, they become incredibly close and realize how much they really need each other and how important it is that they will love and care for each other. And Ada has a really hard time experiencing the care and love that she receives from Susan um, because she, has, she was not used to that at her home with her mother. She was used to the abuse and being shut away. So it was very scary for her, and it kind of seemed like she was dealing with some kind of PTSD-type symptoms because of the trauma that she experienced um, from her home life with her mother. Um, 
It's a really fascinating story of the war in England um, at this time. There's a part in the book where they are helping soldiers who arrived on their shores escaping from Dunkirk. And I thought that was really fascinating. Um, They also removed the street signs. So just in case enemies cannot easily find their way around. Um, And then there is a a second book, a follow-up, where Ada, Susan, and Jamie continue their story through wartime. And they're now kind of in the depths of war um, with rationing cards and blackout curtains. Um, And their family friend, Lady and Lord Thornton, their son goes off to war and fights in the Battle of Britain. And Ada, Susan, and Jamie end up having to move into a cottage that is on the Thornton estate because their home in London was bombed. And at one point, Lady Thornton ends up moving in with them because their estate house is taken over by the government to be used for for war efforts. So kind of like in Downton Abbey. I don't know if you're a Downton Abbey fan. Okay. The Crowleys have their estate home <laughs> taken over because it's wartime and they don't have enough room in the hospital. So they have to bring in the soldiers and all that. So it's very, very much similar. And I know that that happened to most estate homes in England during that time as they were taken over for the war. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's heartfelt series. It's moving. It will bring tears to your eyes. I loved the characters um, and the amazing story that Kimberly Brewberry. Kimberly Brubaker Bradley um, we have this amazing historical fiction book so (laughs) that's funny to think of removing street signs nowadays as doing anything because it wouldn't now (laughs) now it would have no effect yeah but back then removing street signs would help the enemy not find removing google maps from everybody's phone yeah i do a lot (laughs) yeah right we're switching all the names around in the maps which google sometimes does anyway gets me into trouble right yeah can be confusing All right. Thanks, Jenny. Uh, And I have a couple adult book recommendations. Uh, The first one is a popular one that's on. It's pretty deep in the whole list right now. The Gentle Art of Swedish Death Cleaning. How to Make Your Loved One's Lives Easier and Your Own Life More Pleasant. Quite a long title. Sounds like an amazing title. Margarita Magnuson. Uh, The book blurb says, funny, wise, and deeply practical Swedish artist Margarita Magnuson offers advice on how to declutter your home and minimize your worldly possessions so your loved ones don't have to do it for you. Uh, It's a practical book based on personal experience, like if you read Marie Kondo's bestseller, The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying Up which I have as well. Okay, I have not read that one. It makes the process uplifting rather than overwhelming. So it's really short. I listened to it on audiobook, uh, but I definitely did not enjoy it as much as the life-changing magic of tidying up, even though I don't know if I've taken any of that advice to heart. I'm still kind of cluttered. (laughs) (laughs) Easily done. (laughs) But it's a a good quick read if you want to put yourself on the hold list and get it sometime. But the basic, it doesn't have as much of how-to as the other decluttering books. 
the basic message is something that I've already thought about, but she actually tells you not to think about until you're like, I forgot what she said, 70s, 80s, somewhere like really far into your age. But it's basically think about all the stuff in your house and what people will have to do with it. So are they going to have to deal with all of your junk? Maybe you should think about getting rid of some of it or giving some stuff away. Or is there going to be, I don't know, she goes through like weird stuff that you may have kept that you don't want people to find or weird letters that might hurt your family. (laughs) You might want to burn those. Maybe get rid of those earlier (laughs) than later. Yeah, don't wait till you're 80. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, it's it's an interesting idea. It's kind of an idea that I've thought about for a while. I called it preparing to die, but she calls it Swedish death cleaning. But wow. same thing. But, What's yeah. going to happen to all of your stuff, all your computer files, everything, all your letters, all your clothes, all your junk in a giant pile in your closet. Someone's going to have to go through that and be like, wow, why did they keep all this junk? So... Wow, yeah. It's definitely a nice practical thing to think about. Uh, There was a comment on Goodreads that was funny. Would someone please call their band Swedish Death Cleaning? (laughs) (laughs) That would be an amazing band name. Uh, Second book, actually reading like things about your life and organizing it made me think of a book I read many years ago uh, by Donald Miller called A Million Miles in a Thousand Years what I learned while editing my own life. And I really love this book for just like thinking about what you want to do with your life and for writers, because it goes into all the different elements that make up a good story. Um, There's a, he posted this publisher's weekly review on his website about it. it says Miller, the accidental memoirist who struck gold with the likable ramble Blue Like Jazz writes about the challenge inherent in getting unstuck creatively and spiritually. After Jazz sold more than a million copies, but his other books didn't follow suit, he had a classic case of writer's block. Two movie producers contacted him about creating a film out of his life, but Miller's initial enthusiasm was dampened when they concluded that his real life needed to be doctored lest it be too directionless for the screen. Real stories, he learned, require characters who suffer and overcome. In desultory fashion, Miller sets out to change his own life, to be the kind of guy who seeks out his father, chases the girl, and undertakes a quest. Along the way, he comes to understand God as a master storyteller who doesn't quite control where his characters are going. An unexpected bonus of this book is Miller's insights into the writing process. Readers who loved Blue Like Jazz will find here a somewhat more mature Miller, still funny as hell, but more concerned about making a difference in the world than in merely commenting on it. Uh, and if you're a writer, there's a funny part in the book where they go to a Robert McKee story conference where he talks about, well, he's talking to people, like movie people, like script writers. Uh, he gives a seminar on story, and Miller's description of the event is pretty hilarious. Uh, the whole book is funny and engaging. He climbs Machu Picchu, they drag him around a kayak behind the car when it snows in Portland. There's, that's a pretty fun story. Nice. It <laughs> sounds pretty fun. <laughs> and yeah, he like his book you'd probably find in 
maybe the spiritual section or Christianity section, like Blue Like Jazz is more in that vein. But this book is, I would say, more for everybody. Like he references God, but it's really about story and like anybody can relate with this book, no matter what your inclinations are. So I would highly recommend that one for thinking about your life and the story of your life and where it's going. Uh, one thing he repeats throughout it is if the story was all about the character getting a Volvo, like it wouldn't be an interesting story. So is your story like about getting some piece of something that you're going to eventually have to death clean away? It's not going to be a very interesting story. <laughs> death clean <laughs> just sounds terrible death clean that old volvo sitting <laughs> in your garage uh, next i read philip k dick's electric dreams it's a collection of short stories philip k dick is one of my favorite science fiction writers he's got tons of amazing novels man in the high castle is a book that got turned into a tv show for yep. Amazon, and I it's doing really well. I haven't read the book, but I've seen the series, and the series is yeah. pretty great. Yeah, I think the series might actually be better than Wow, Man in okay. the High Castle book, yeah. but okay. some of his other books are better than that one. Um, these short stories are the TV show loosely bases their episodes on each one of these stories. Some of them are more recognizable than others. Some it's just like they took the very vague idea and then com wrote a completely different script and you can hardly even tell it's the same story so mm -hmm. it's interesting to read the stories watch the show and compare some of them i like the script version of the tv show better and some of them i like the story better and some of them they're both just bring out different elements of his weird world oh they're like i said they're like science fiction if you've ever watched Black Mirror on Netflix. Um, it's kind of in that vein uh, where he doesn't rely as much as heavy on technology. Black Mirror it usually introduces like a piece of advanced technology that somehow usually makes everything terrible or makes someone die. <laughs> they're pretty dark. <laughs> where Philip K. Dick's story is, they're usually set in some kind of futuristic thing where there's a group of people like oppressing certain people and they're more more character driven and not as dark like you won't find everyone ending with somebody dying or in like the worst possible scenario of their life like black mirror <laughs> so if black mirror is too heavy for you but you still want a science fiction kind of like blow your mind type of thing philip k dick would be the way to go pace magazine says i like a little compassion with my dystopian horror it keeps things unpredictable. Charlie Brooker, the creator of Black Mirror, likes to watch the trap slam shut. Philip K. Dick wants his characters to get away even when they can't, and the writers and directors of Electric Dreams are doing their best to honor that. Good for them. So it's a really fun thing to get into. I have a quick reading. So this reading is... From the story Autofac, which is one of the strongest episodes, and they are pretty they're they have a similar theme, but they definitely take a different a different tack. But the show is 
uh, really amazing. The story gets into more detail and you can kind of see why it would be really difficult to interpret it in the way that it is in the book to the screen. So you kind of get two different perspectives. So this is Autofac. The truck regarded them calmly, its receptors blank and impassive. It was doing its job. The planet-wide network of automatic factories was smoothly performing the task imposed on it five years before in the early days of the total global conflict. There it goes, Morrison observed dismally. The truck's antenna had come down. It shifted into low gear and released its parking brake. One last try, O'Neill said. He swept up one of the cartons and ripped it open. From it, he dragged a 10-gallon milk tank and unscrewed the lid. Silly as it seems. This is absurd, Perrine protested. Reluctantly, he found a cup among the littered debris and dripped it into the milk. A kid's game. The truck had paused to observe them. Do it, O'Neill ordered sharply, exactly the way he practiced it. The three of them drank quickly from the milk tank, visibly allowing the milk to spill down their chins. There had to be no mistaking what they were doing. As planned, O'Neill was the first. His face twisted in revulsion. He hurled the cup away and violently spat the milk into the road. God's sake, he choked. The other two did the same, stamping and loudly cursing. They kicked over the milk tank and glared accusingly at the truck. It's no good, Morrison roared. Curious, the truck came slowly back. Electronic synapses clicked in word, responding to the situation. Its antenna shot up like a flagpole. I think this is it, O'Neill said, trembling, as the truck watched. He dragged out a second milk tank, unscrewed its lid, and tasted the contents. The same, he shouted at the truck. It's just as bad. From the truck popped a metal cylinder. The cylinder dropped at Morrison's feet. He quickly snatched it up and tore it open. State nature of defect. The instruction sheet listed rows of possible defects with neat boxes by each. A punch stick was included to indicate the particular deficiency of the product. What'll I check? Morrison asked. Contaminated? Bacterial? Sour? Rancid? Incorrectly labeled? Broken? Crushed? Cracked? Bent? Soiled? Thinking rapidly, O'Neill said, don't check any of them. The factory's undoubtedly ready to test and resample. It'll make its own analysis and then ignore us. His face glowed as frantic inspiration came. Right in that blank at the bottom, it's an open space for further data. Write what? O'Neill said, write the product is thoroughly pizzled. What's that? Perrine demanded, baffled. Write it. It's a semantic garble. The factory won't be able to understand it. Maybe we can jam the works. And so that was kind of generally about a group of people being um, where there's like a machinery or robot type factory thing providing them with materials after some great conflict. And they're trying to they're trying to engage it um, in a different way where it does, doesn't provide automatic AI response to uh, what it's already programmed to do. So they're trying to get out of this situation, which you can find more about if you read the story or watch the show, Autofac. <clears throat> 
Um, and my last recommendation to read is called Brass, a novel. It's by Jeanette Alliou, and she actually was a classmate of mine in graduate school at University of Alabama, Tuscaloosa. That's pretty awesome. And she wrote a collection of short stories before this, if you're interested in short stories. But Brass just came out, and it's been recommended on many must-read lists. I think Oprah mentioned it. Wow. Uh, Celeste Ng has a quote on the cover, who is a best-selling author. I think her new book's on the New York Times bestseller list right now. She calls it a fierce, big-hearted, unflinching debut. That's fantastic. Yeah, and I just finished it. I'll read the blurb about what it is about. It's a fierce debut novel about mothers and daughters, haves and have-nots, and the stark realities behind the American dream. A waitress at the Betsy Ross Diner, Elsie hopes her nickel and dime tips will add up to a new life. Then she meets Boshkeem, who is at once both worldly and naive, a married man who left Albania to chase his dreams and wound up working as a line cook in Waterbury, Connecticut. Back when the brass mills were still open, this bustling factory town drew one wave of immigrants after another. Now it's the place they can't seem to leave. Elsie herself, the granddaughter of Lithuanian immigrants, falls in love quickly. But when she learns that she's pregnant, Elsie can't help wondering where Boshkim's heart really lies, and what'll he do about the wife he left behind. Seventeen years later, headstrong and independent Lulietta receives a rejection letter from NYU and her first ever suspension from school on the same day. Instead of striking out on her own in Manhattan, she's stuck in Connecticut with her mother, Elsie, a fate she refuses to accept. Wondering if the key to her future is unlocking the secrets of the past, Lulu decides to find out what exactly her mother has been hiding about the father she never knew. As she soon discovers, the truth is closer than she ever imagined. Told in equally gripping parallel narratives with biting wit and grace, Brass announces a fearless new voice with a timely, tender, and quintessentially American story. Uh, Kirkus Reviews gave it a starred review. They called it a glimmering debut novel. Reflects on mother and daughter connections, abandonment, and resilience, and dreams that endure despite the odds. LU's writing is polished and precise, bringing her characters glowingly to life. And I have a excerpt, a little sample of the writing style. So this is from the middle of the book. Elsie's talking to a character named Ilka, who is a relative of Bashkim. Well, you're off to a good start. A woman who doesn't know enough to go to the doctor when she's pregnant is dumb. One who knows better but still doesn't go is bad. I'm going to go to the doctor, I said. So after that, what will I be? She shrugged. I guess just regular. That's a start, I said. Yes, just a start. Listen, Boshkim is family, and you are not. But that child inside of you is my family too. And while it is inside of your belly, it eats the food you eat. But that's not all. It feels what you feel. You feel sad, it is sad. You are hurt, it is hurt too. I want what is good for that child, and so I don't want you being hurt, that's all. I'm not trying to get hurt either. I'm not looking for pain, I said. 
You should be, she said. You should look for it all the time so you know where it is and you can stay far, far away. She walked inside, her shadow a moment or two behind her, a ghost of rosewater perfume, always the last part of her to leave. Once that faded, I sat alone in the dull light that the kitchen window let out. Looking at all the other dull lights in the houses to the left and right, there were lights on in most of them, and the swarms of moths panicking at each. What a sad life moths led, I thought. They'd do anything to get at the warmth of the light. And soon as they reached it, they burned up and died. Those kind of flaws were everywhere in nature. I wasn't saying I had everything figured out, that I wasn't making mistakes all over the place. I just didn't see why I had to be singled out for it. And spoiler, a small spoiler alert here. So if you're going to read Brass and you don't want any spoilers, you could stop right now. But there's a part where she gives birth, uh, where Elsie gives birth in the book. Pretty graphic description, which, uh, I mean, the whole book is written extremely well. And that part gave me pause because I never really actually thought about what happens to the umbilical cord? <laughs> Great question. Like I had, I was looking stuff up on the computer because she had to, she gave birth and she had to cut the umbilical. She was by herself. She had to cut it oh, herself. Lord. And I was like, well, what, what actually goes on? Like, is Lord. the, and it was like still attached to her. I'm like, is it still attached? Is it going to come out? Does she have to tie it on the baby or is the baby's? insides just falling out of this tube now what's going on how does it all work (laughs) do you know how it works why didn't i think of this before until now you don't (laughs) no (laughs) no no okay yeah so i guess i don't know so if you gave birth to a baby by yourself in the woods you don't would you tie the umbilical cord i think i heard that's or would you you just cut it and let it go i think you're supposed to tie it and then cut it Cause then it falls off. <laughs> yeah, it falls off like right? a lizard or something. <laughs> what? <laughs> and then yeah, because the baby comes home with that tied knot from the umbilical cord, and then it falls off, and then you have a belly button. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I <laughs> didn't. Fine. I didn't know that it had a. I was reading articles. There's like a a weird umbilical cord nub that you like taking care of your baby's. Umbilical oh, cord nub when I, you bring I, it home I and think then it eventually is a thing. it falls off. Yes. There but must be some care instructions for that. It's yeah. very weird. I haven't experienced it, so I don't know. <laughs> How does an in here and Audi happen? <laughs> it's a mystery. So, yeah, if you want a fine description of somebody giving birth by themselves, it happens in this book, which is amazing. It alternates between first person and second person, which seems a little weird at first. You're probably not used to reading second person uh, point of view books. So it could be a, it's a nice, interesting foray recommended by all your favorite book outlets. It's currently uh, on the Barnes and Noble, I think the Barnes and Noble like upcoming amazing books that's kind of discounted and displayed heavily in front of their. Wow. Place. So that's great. Yeah. Anything else, Jenny? Um, no, I think that's pretty much it. Those are kind of my top four books right now. Um, and I just want to say too, because like 
I know there are a lot of adults out there that do read young adult novels, but I know that maybe some would be not even thinking about picking up a young adult book, but do not undermine the power of storytelling in young adult literature because it is amazing and it is something that not just teens will enjoy. You know, adults um, can read young adult books as well. And that even goes for like children's literature. I mean, there's so many good stories out there. Like, don't be afraid to pick up like a children's fiction book, like The War That Saved My Life, a fantastic story, and it'll be a quick read, but something that you will enjoy greatly. So Yeah, there's a lot of good books that you can find. Uh, there's a series by Colin Malloy, who's a guitarist for the band The Decemberists. Okay. And he has a series that's in the children's section called Wildwood. What? Yes, and I've seen that series. It's amazing. It's a great story. There's many words in it that I have to look up while I there read it. There you go. <laughs> so it's probably more difficult than some adult books or sure. a lot of adult books, actually. Educational experience. But those, I mean, there's there's talking animals, so I guess it gets put in children's. Right, yeah. And not horribly crude subject matter, just complex words. So, But the Decemberists, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah. I didn't know. He just so wrote a new book as well, which I'm going to read and maybe – I will bring up in one of our next discussions about pickpockets in France. And that one is either a middle grade or a YA. Okay. Sounds intriguing. But looks interesting. Awesome. I look forward to it. All right. Thanks for joining us on our first book recommendation, librarian book recommendation podcast. And we hope you enjoy it and pick up some of these awesome books. And we will be back with more reviews and recommendations thanks for tuning into the podcast we hope you use this information to strike up a local conversation we believe in the power of community and story here at the library and we have plenty of stories in book ebook cd dvd and magazine form check us out at mcmillanlibrary.org to see upcoming events, including concerts, speakers, movies, and more. We also have free online classes through Gale Courses, as well as a host of databases for your research needs. If you can't find what you're looking for, stop in at the Information Desk. The Macmillan Conversation Maker podcast can be found at macmillanlibrary.org backslash podcast.